Uh, all my life, uh, ever since I was a little kid, all I wanted to do was be in the cockpit of a fighter jet. That was what I was shooting for. Ever since I was a little kid, I could hold a crayon, had a piece of paper. I was drawing planes, drawing airplanes. Uh, as I was growing up, I, I would just start to accumulate books and posters and pictures. And my room was just wall to wall. My, my poor parents, you know, they must have like a thousand pushpin marks in the walls growing up. There's wall to wall posters and pictures of jets and books. And every time I heard the, the, the roar of an engine up in the sky, I'd be looking up. And I just loved those things. And so I, I figured out by high school that with my eyesight, I was probably not going to be in the cockpit, but I didn't know until just a couple months before my high school graduation that my actual eyesight kept me out of the Air Force altogether. So on the eve of basically high school graduation, my life's dream was just crushed. And I'll never forget that meeting with that little feisty, redheaded Air Force recruiter in her office. And she was trying to be compassionate but firm, but basically my uh, prescription and my lens surpassed uh, their requirements. And there was just no way, was get, no way I was getting in. And so I was crushed. And at that point in time, I was a young Christian. I had only known the Lord for a few years. And so I was just, I, I took my pain to the Lord and I was just crying out to God, like, God, why is this thing that I desired so badly being taken from me? Why don't I get to live out my dream? And so I began the journey of just releasing my grip on what I thought was going to be the plan for my life and starting to just embrace whatever God's plan was for my life. Like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you had times in your life where you've had to release your grip on something that was important to you, something that was dear to you, in order to surrender and be in a place of trust for what God has for you, even though you didn't see it at the time? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We're continuing in this series called Risk Takers. And we're talking about uh, this, this, this whole month and a couple more weeks, we're talking about how God did not create us for a life of comfort. He didn't create us to, to play it safe, nor did he uh, create us for a life of reckless living and self-indulgence. But right in the middle, there's this place where God created you and God created me to live for him, to love, uh, love him and live a life of taking risks because we love him. And it's one thing to release a plan or release a dream or, or to release an, a, a toxic relationship or a bad habit. It's another thing altogether when you have to release something so precious to you, such as your own child. And the biblical risk taker we're going to look at together today is a person who had to do just that. It's a woman named Jochebed. Now, some of you may have never heard of Jochebed, but you've probably heard of her son. Her son's name is Moses. And so we're going to uh, look at this woman, uh, Jochebed, and her faith-filled decision to release Moses in such a way that demonstrated a trust for God. She truly is a risk taker that we want to look at. And so open up your Bibles with me right now to the book of Exodus chapter 2. We're a Bible teaching church. We believe that one of the best things we can do is get you in God's word. It doesn't matter so much what we say here once a week for 30, 40 minutes. It's more important about what you're seeing in God's word every day. So we want you in God's word. We invite you to God's word. We believe the best we can do is, is, is uh, connect you to God and his word. And so we're going to find ourselves in Exodus chapter 2 today. And we're going to be starting with the last verse of Exodus 1. And let me just give you a little backdrop. Uh, this, this is where we enter into a moment in history. This is real history. This is not myth. This is not fiction. This is real history where the Hebrew people had long ago settled into Egypt due to a famine. And God led the Hebrew people there under the leadership of Joseph. 
Now, when we enter into the story here, Joseph is long gone, and so is the favor that the Hebrew people had with the Egyptians. And now we're talking about uh, generations later and new pharaohs, new kings that had, had risen up. And all they knew is that the Hebrew population was continuing to grow and they were continuing to be blessed. And so those pharaohs started to uh, take a different stance with the Hebrews and they put them into slavery and they oppressed them. And uh, they were trying to subdue the Hebrew people. But despite the affliction, despite the slavery, God's hand of blessing continued to be among his people. And so uh, they continued to grow. And so the Pharaoh took it to a whole nother level. And he said, to slow this growth and to keep the oppression, I'm going to put out an edict. And basically, from now on, any Hebrew baby boy that is born must be killed. And he tells his people that they have permission to find newborn baby boys of the Hebrew people and just throw them into the Nile River. And that's where we enter the story. In fact, look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. It says, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, right? He, he, he um, endorsed all his people. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Man, what a, what a dicey time to live as an Israelite. We continue on, Exodus chapter 2. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Well, let's color in some of this vague language for a second. Who are we talking about? Well, if you were to look at Exodus 6.20, the names are identified. Uh, the, The man's name is Amram. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And then in Numbers 2659, another piece of history. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. So we're introduced to these people by name now through biblical history. And it says here that Moses, and of course that wasn't his name at birth, we're not sure what it was, uh, was, a, was a beautiful child, was a fine child. What does that mean? Well, it's actually the Hebrew word uh, toad, which means uh, it's the same exact word that we see in Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating everything. When God was making everything in the Genesis account, it says, for example, God created light and said that it was what? Good, right? And every time God made something, it says it was good. It's the same word. And so when Amram and uh, Jochebed saw Moses, it was like, this is good, this is pleasing, this is beautiful, this is fine. And so he was an adorable, handsome little boy. But it was not the typical joyful shouts in that home of, it's a boy, because of Pharaoh's edict. Then you read right out of the gate that their little boy was in danger. And his life was in danger. We continue on, Exodus 2, verses 3 through 10. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a difference to know what would be done to him. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? I wonder who she had in mind, by the way. And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, Jochebed. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. 
And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. What an incredible moment in history. What an incredible faith we see in the life of Amram and Jochebed right here. This is, this is a, a moment where first they take the risk, you know, here's, here's this child that they're bringing into the world, and, and when it's a boy, they took the risk first of defying Pharaoh. And we're, this is our son. We're, we're not going to allow harm to come to him. So they, they took that first risk, fueled by faith, to just hide him. For three months, they hid him. But as you know, babies get more vocal when they get older, right? And so there became a point where after three months, uh, little baby Moses was not so quiet. And he was starting to cry. And he was starting to make noise. And then all of a sudden, they realized this is that proverbial between a rock and a hard place. If someone finds out that we have a child and they find out it's a boy, they can take him from us and literally throw him in the Nile River. Um, so, so keeping him is putting him in danger, us in danger. What are we going to do? And so this was a, a moment of risk. It says that this was a, a, an act of faith. In Hebrews 11.23, says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then, through this incredible faith, Jochebed, after those cries kicked in, had to come to a place where she said, What shall I do? And she came to a place where she had to release Moses. She had to let him go. She had to come to a place where she realized to stay is utmost danger, but if she somehow could just trust God and, and come together with a plan and see how his provision, his character, his providence would play out, uh, would be the best thing that she could do. I mean, can you imagine, just, just as a parent, for any of you that, that have had kids or if your grandparents, can you imagine just taking your child and, and hand-making a basket, basically a little ark, and, and, and forming that and, and waterproofing it, and then giving your child uh, what you are thinking are probably the last hugs and kisses you will ever give that child, and putting them in that basket, and then putting them among the reeds of the shore of the Nile, and absolutely releasing your child in the moment, trusting God for what he was going to do. What a powerful moment. What a moment of faith. And as we're talking about that, I want to point out that I don't believe this is one of those, like, let go and let God moments. Um, truth be told, I'm not a huge fan of that phrase. To me, it's just weak. It's just kind of passive. It's very inactive. It's kind of like, oh, just let go and let God. And that's not what we see in Scripture. We don't see people just, like, letting go and letting God. I don't think Jochebed just kind of like, oh, well, I'll just put this baby in this river and just let go and let God, you know? I don't think that's what that moment looked like. Uh, she, she, was, she was very intentional. She, she, she was acting with intentionality. And instead of letting go, she was grabbing hold. She was grabbing hold of her faith. She was grabbing hold of her trust in this mighty God who controlled everything. And she knew that uh, the likelihood was Moses was going to be taken from her and thrown in the Nile. So maybe it would be better instead to place him there himself in a place of safety, just trusting God for what he was going to do. And so it, was, it wasn't passive when she formed together that basket. It wasn't passive when she waterproofed it. It wasn't a passive moment when she placed her son in that basket. It wasn't passive when she put him among the reeds, which, by the way, most people believe that uh, because this was probably a common area that Pharaoh's daughter would come and bathe, she probably knew that was the place. It might have been a potential setup, which means she was very intentional about where she put that basket, if it's true. And so this wasn't passive. It wasn't passive that she left Miriam on the shore to watch and report what would happen. This wasn't a passive let go, let God moment. It was God, you're alive, God. I'm going to hold on to you and see what happens kind of moment. And so we just have to understand that this was the spirit of that releasing. 
You know, God tells us in his word, and this is an incredible book called Ecclesiastes. You're going to be seeing more of the book of Ecclesiastes in the near future, by the way. In Ecclesiastes, that God used the wisest man who ever lived to write, Solomon. Uh, in chapter 3, it tells us there's a time for everything. And in essence, there's always a time even to let go. Ecclesiastes 3.6 says there's a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. There's a time to release. There's a time to let go. And Jacobo was experiencing one of those moments. If I keep them, here's the danger. If I let them go and trust God, the odds are better. And so this was far from just being a let go, let God, but it was intentional. It was a time of letting go in faith. And there's just going to be times when we too are faced with tough choices, our own rock and hard place moments, and we come to a river of sacrifice, and we need to release something that's precious to us, or we need to even release something that's poisonous to us to, to experience what God has to experience him and what he has for us in a different way. And so we need to release our plans and our wants and our desires and hold our hands open, waiting to see what God's wants and what God's plans are instead. And so let me ask you, what are you possibly holding on to today that is keeping you stuck? What are you holding on today that's keeping you stuck spiritually or relationally? What are you holding on that's keeping you stuck emotionally? Because likely all of us, either are holding on to something or about to hold on to something that honestly we should come to a place of releasing. And so what do you need to release today to live a life of more bold faith and risk for the Lord? Now, Jochebed knew how big her God was, right? She knew how big her God was. So the letting go was hard, but she knew she could trust the Lord, that he was big and that, that his plans were big. And so uh, when we start talking about risk-taking for God, we have to come back to what we really mean by that. We're not talking about just living risky, right? Like, I don't want to hear about any of you like, oh, yeah, the light turned yellow. I knew it was going to be red, but I just ran through it because, you know, we're talking about living risky. It's like, it's not what we're talking about. Talk about taking risks for the cause of Christ, taking risks with things that we want to hold on to, but instead converting them into a place of trust in our big God. Understanding who he is and his character and that he has everything we need. You know, we've made this recommendation this quarter uh, to read this book to kind of go along with our series. And this book's called Don't Waste Your Life. It's by a guy named John Piper. And uh, in this book, in, on page 90, uh, he says something about the spirit of risk-taking that I thought was very uh, profound and, and, and really tied. He says, I've been assuming that the power and motive behind taking risk for the cause of God is not heroism or the lust for adventure or the courage of self-reliance, or the need to earn God's goodwill, but rather faith in the all-providing, all-ruling, all-satisfying Son of God, Jesus Christ. Like, I just want to say that again. Like, when we're talking about taking risk, when we're talking about trust, this is a great description of our Savior, is it not? That we're having faith in the all-providing, all-ruling, all-satisfying Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the strength to take risk, uh, losing face, for the sake of Christ is the faith that God's love will lift up your face at the end and vindicate your cause. The strength to risk losing money for the cause of the gospel is the faith that we have a treasure in the heavens that cannot fail. The strength to risk losing life in this world is the faith and the promise that he who loses his life in this world will save it for the age to come. So it's God who gets the praise because of his care. In this way, it risk reflects God's value, not our valor. When we look at Jochebed, we note that she took a risk. We, we note that we can model how to take risk in releasing from her. But it's not Jochebed that's the hero of the story. It's God. 
Jochebed was placing her trust in God. God is ultimately who we're resting in. It's Christ who we're ultimately resting in when we take these risks. So Jesus is all we need, right? He possesses all we need. He gives us all we need. And so we can trust him, and we can trust him when he's silent. We can trust him when we see bad happening. We can trust his character, even when we have to let go of things that are painful to us. So again, what are you holding on to that you need to release this morning? Some of you know exactly what God's telling you to let go of. Some of you came in here going, oh man, I can't believe this is what they're talking about today. Because God's already been working you over. He's already been impressing this on your heart or he's been highlighting or, or, or revealing to you areas of your life. And some of you are thinking about something that God is asking you to release in your life. And what, what some of us find ourselves saying is, but it hurts to let go. It hurts to let go. And that's true. It does hurt to let go. But the question you need to ask yourself is, will it hurt you more if you keep holding on? Because quite honestly, that's the situation. Some of us are holding on to particular things that we love, we want, we desire, that if we hold on to them, they actually will hurt us more than the pain of letting go and trusting what God has for us. And so we need to look at some of the plans. We need to look at some of the relationships. We need to look at some of the sins and the decisions. We need to look at some of the patterns and attitudes and actions that are hurting you and preventing you from experiencing God's best for you. And the freedom and the joy of, of just seeing what God is going to have play out in your life when you're faithful to him. Like just a few examples. Some of you are trying to control everything and everyone. And do not poke the person next to you when I say that. Some of you are just trying to control everything. You're trying to control everyone. And God might be telling you, you have to release control. It's just that reminder that God is God and we are not, right? Because when you give it to God and say, God, um, I release my control. It's almost like God says, you never had it. <laughs> control is like a myth. Control is a, a self-deception. And we might temporarily gain, you know, what we think are advantages to control, but ultimately, as life carries out, isn't it always teach us we're never in control, but God is. So for some of us to get where God wants us to go, we've got, we've got to release control, the things we're trying to control. Some of you have been hurt deeply. You've been wounded deeply. And like a cancer, you've let bitterness just grow into your life. And, and the deception there is that as you harbor that pain, as you harbor that bitterness, somehow, someway, you're hoping it hurts that other person, but in reality, they're probably not even aware. And it's not hurting their life, but you know what? It's hurting your life. And not only that, do not think that you can contain it to your own life. Because if you are harboring bitterness and you are holding bitterness, it spills over into the lives of the people next to you, Right? And your kids and your friends and your family members, they know you're bitter. And they can't bring it up because once they do, it's like the volcano goes off. So you just have to suffer in this bitterness. Some of you here today have to let go. You've got to release this, whatever you're harboring and say, Jesus, I'm having a hard time forgiving him. Will you help me? Jesus, you've forgiven me. Help me extend forgiveness to them. Some of you have to release that bitterness that you have in your life right now. Um, some of you, uh, you're, you're a slave right now to some sort of addiction. And whether it be alcohol, drugs, tobacco, food, pornography, there's just something that you have an addiction to right now that it's got a hold of you. Trust me, if you could beat that addiction, you would have by now. You can't without Christ. Like, you can't without Christ. Jesus is the one you need to break through that addiction. It's a huge battle. For those of us battling addiction, it is a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, day-by-day battle. 
And so we have to come to Christ. We have to release the desire to control that or to feed that addiction. And instead, turn to Christ. Have him unshackle you from whatever's got a hold of you. Some of you, you have allowed fear to just grip your life. Like, it's kind of interesting because we say, like, you need to let go of that fear. But in reality, you need to let fear let go of you. Some of you are just so afraid to make decisions and, or to move or to do anything because you, you're so afraid and fear has gripped your life. And maybe today God's saying you, you have to release this, 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 this um, uh, dominance of fear in your life. And it's interesting because we know that fear is a huge theme in the Bible, right? From cover to cover, God teaches on fear. And it's best summarized by three words. Do not what? Fear. And what I love about oftentimes when we find that is followed by these words. Because I am with you. God's with you. And so he can help us slay those fears. You know, some of you are sitting here in, in, in your relationships, and there's things going on in your relationships or some peripheral relationships that really are not honoring to God. Maybe you're not married, and you're having sex, or you're cohabitating, or you're committing adultery, and you've bought the lies of the flesh and the world that it's okay, and that it's good for you. It's not. God has a plan. Like, here's the thing. God made relationships. We didn't. So he knows how they best work, and he, he gave us the plan in his word. And so what would it look like for you to surrender and say, you know, I'm going to try it God's way. Tried it my way, tried it the world's way, and you know what? It has a sting to it. At first it seems like it's right, but there's always this gnawing feeling that something's not right. Why? Surrender to doing it God's way. Maybe you need to release those aspects of your relationships to the Lord. This is what it looks like in some areas to take risk for Christ. It's the submitting. It's the surrendering. It's when we say, I surrender. So when we say, I surrender to the Lord, and we try to live for his glory. And what happens is, when you do that, like when you start to really abandon your plans and desires and start to release the things that we think we need in our life and start to say, God, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know when it's going to come, but I'm just going to trust you. Man, there's blessing that is for the person of faithfulness. There really is. I mean, we even go back to the story of Jochebed. Look at the crazy blessings that flow out of what happens here with Jochebed's simple act of faith. Uh, there was a blessing for Jochebed, right? Like when she released Moses, she thought, she's like, that's it, it's game over, right? Ends up, she gets called to nurse and raise her child. She's called back to nurse and raise her child. And not only that, she's on Pharaoh's daughter's payroll to do it. Like, that's a pretty sweet deal right there. And, and, and she's, she's freed from this thing of like, if I keep him, he can be taken and killed. If, if I put him in the Nile, it's like a crocodile can get him. He could drown. Someone can find him and drown him anyways, but I'm just going to trust God. She ends up getting called. She gets to spend probably a few more years with him. And then what does she get to do? She gets to take him to a home and say, he's not in the Nile. He's not at the bottom of the Nile. He's in a home and he's taken care of. What a, what a blessing for that woman who took the simple act of faith. Jochebed was blessed for her obedience and her risk-taking. You know what? It was a blessing for Pharaoh's daughter. The woman just wanted a bath, right? It's all she wanted. I'm just going to go down and take a bath. She comes back home. Look, you know. I mean, it was a few years later. But basically, um, it's like she got a son out of this deal. She got a beautiful baby boy to add to her family. And, and God even used a situation to bless Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, her, her theology was a little off, but she would have came to the Nile River that day. The, the, the Egyptians viewed Nile as, as a god. And so anything that came to you from the Nile was, was from the gods. And so this baby boy is like, okay, it's from the gods. It's a Hebrew baby boy, but I'm going to take him in. And she was even blessed by uh, Moses. It was a blessing for Moses, right? 
I mean, his life at best would have been to be a slave. At worst would have been to, to have died. And instead, he's adopted. He's adopted into a family. He's adopted into the royal family. And he's raised with privilege. And here's this little boy that has no clue that his, his history and his current life and his future life are going to be this incredible display of God's goodness and God's grace and God's provision. And Moses was blessed by that. He ended up being this man of God that God used to deliver his will and his work. It was a huge blessing for the Hebrew people, right? Because we knew that Moses, and we'll talk more about this next week because we're going to look at Moses closer next week, but we knew that Moses was raised up to be a deliverer. God raised him to be a deliverer for the Hebrew people, and he was going to take them out of the land of slavery, and he was going to lead them out of Egypt, and he was going to deliver God's a word to them, and God's law, and he was going to lead them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. This is what's so beautiful about the story of Moses. This is what I love about the Bible, because when you look at a book like Exodus, that's, you know, so old, and then you look at the Gospels and the story of Jesus, and you zoom out, you go, wow, God put the Gospel, like, in every book. And we see, even when we look at Exodus, we go, wait a second, people enslaved, God sends them a deliverer who rescues them from slavery and takes them to a better place. Hello, the gospel, humanity, enslaved by sin. You and I are sinners. We were born into this world sinners. Our heart's desire is to rebel against God. We're enslaved to our sin. We need a deliverer, someone who can take us out of that. He didn't just send Moses. He came down in person. And when Jesus Christ came here, and when he went to the cross, he died for all of our sins, right? He died for those sins, was put in the grave, <laughs> that's a joke, rose from the grave, and claimed victory over death and the grave and sin. And so we have a deliverer in Christ. And anyone who turns to Christ to be made right with God, anyone who turns to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, embraces the deliverer that God has provided, and then we get to go on to a better place. Now, not only eternity, right? Definitely heaven's waiting for those who are in Christ, but that's not just a better place. We get to live in a better place of mind here. We get to have new life, not just eternal life. Like, like the gospel is here. And so for all of us that are followers of Christ, we look at it and go, wow, that's great. And for those of you who don't know Christ yet, our hope and prayer for you is that you would understand God's love for you. You'd understand this, this narrative that God put together to, to free you and to deliver you and to give you something that you could never have on your own, and nothing that you're holding on to would ever give you. And so we see the blessings that flow out of this whole story. And so uh, it all started <laughs> with a mom who was willing to risk letting go of something so precious to her, her son. Because when we look at this, the bottom line is sometimes risking means releasing. And as followers of Christ, we are continuously called to this life of taking risks for the Lord. And there are times that's just going to mean releasing. Like, let's just talk about this. As we've been talking about being risk takers, we've kind of narrowed it down to four categories. Being, being a um, spiritual risk taker, conversational risk taker, relational risk taker, financial risk taker for God. And so you think about the spiritual risk taking. Like, what do you need to let go of to become a bigger spiritual risk taker? Like, what, what's got you stuck where you're not, like, attacking God's word with a fierce devotion to learn more about God and to apply what you learn? Because, quite honestly, some of us know the Bible back and forth, but we ain't living jack. You know what I'm saying? We're not doing anything in there. We're just reading it. You have all this knowledge. Knowledge is worthless if we don't act upon it in obedience and in faith and in risk. 
So what's, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from taking those spiritual risks, being more fierce about these things, praying bold prayers, risky prayers, giving more of your life to the Lord, serving God's kingdom more? You know, some of you here, you might be called to full-time ministry. God might be calling you to be a full-time missionary or, or a full-time person in ministry in, on a pastorate level, on a ministerial level. That, that, that's going to scare some of you to death, but if that's what God has for you, he's, he's going to bless you for obedience to pursue that, but you've got to let go of some things. You've got to grow as a spiritual risk taker. For some of you who don't know Christ, maybe you, you've flirted with the idea of giving your life to Christ, but you just haven't crossed that line. Maybe today's the day you cross that line going, I've got to take that risk. I've got to abandon whatever's holding me back. Like, what is holding you back from coming to Christ? Is it doubt? Is it stubbornness? What kind of resistance is there to just say, man, obviously I can't fix my own problems. Religion doesn't do it in and of itself. Good works doesn't do it. You've got to embrace the deliverer that he sent. You've got to believe in the work of Jesus on his cross and the resurrection. Like, what's holding you back from being that spiritual risk taker to come to Christ? Maybe today's the day you do that. We also have to grow as conversational risk takers, right? That has so many different ways it could play out. Like I know, uh, you know, as you guys are in life groups, do you know what it means to be a conversational risk taker in life groups? It means that you need to like not try to manage an image. Like be vulnerable, even if you're leading one saying, hey, I don't have to try to act like I have my life all together. Here's what's really going on in my life. Here's how you can pray for me. Here's where I'm struggling. And you start to, you know, scuba dive in your conversations rather than just snorkel staying at the surface. And so, you, you know, you start to become conversational risk takers. For some of you, conversational risk taking means stop moving your mouth and open your ears. Take the risk to learn other people's stories and ask about their life. Be more focused on being interested rather than interesting. And just listen and see how God can use you to bless and to be part of someone else's story. There's so many different ways that can play out. Also, just as we go through life every day, every day we have opportunities to just take conversational risks, which means we take an ordinary situation and we're willing to go to the deeper level of questions and getting to know someone. I know this last week uh, I rented a car and the gentleman picked me up. I'm like going, I'm a missionary, clever disguise as enterprise customer, Okay. I've got 10 minutes with this dude, <laughs> maybe 15. It's time to be a conversational risk taker. What's that look like? And so I just started asking questions about his life. Man, that guy just started singing like a bird. Man, just tell me all about it. In that quick 10 minutes, I found out that, you know, as a young man, found out about what school he's going to and what he's pursuing and found out that his, uh, you know, he's um, navigating just a messy, messy divorce with his parents and he's still kind of hurting over that. We talked about that a little bit because, you know, my parents have been divorced and so we got a chance to connect on that. Um, found out that he's, you know, smitten in love with this girl. They've been dating for a while, and they're planning on moving in together and living together in the fall. And just, just listen to his life. And then I just realized, I've got a few more minutes, man. What does God want me to do? And this is what God put on my heart. And so I just said, can I, can I offer a suggestion? Which, by the way, I always encourage you to ask permission before you just start, you know, you don't just kick down the door, man, and start yapping, you know? Like, ask permission. I said, can I, can I, can I make a suggestion? He said, yeah. I said, you love this girl, right? He goes, Yeah. I said, I'm going to ask you to do something incredibly brave. Like, if you really love this girl, I'd pick up this book and read it before you make that decision. I told him about a book called The Ring Makes All the Difference. And it's a guy who basically immersed his life in studying cohabitating. And he just looked at all the, the pros and cons, and he just said, here's, here's what it really means to cohabitate that you don't see on the front end. And I said, before you make that decision, if you really love this girl, why don't you read that book so you know exactly what you're getting into. He's like, oh, wow, thanks for that. And, and I talked some more and said, here's my number. I work with couples. If, if, you, if you want um, you know, to find someone neutral outside, you know, whatever. And he's like, that's great. So I may get a text in the years to come. I may not, but that's not the point. I was faithful to take those 10 or 15 minutes God gave me and be a conversational risk taker. We got to keep growing as conversational risk takers. Uh, we also grow as relational risk takers, right? We've talked about this. Stepping into relationships with people who are different than you. 
Like, man, especially when you think about being a life house, like your neighbors are different than you. There's people in your community that are different with you. Are you, are you connecting relationally with people that are of a different ethnicity, a different socioeconomical status, different political views, different lifestyles, different whatever, religious backgrounds? Like, we're called to move into those relationships and just build community where we live. Love on people. Be a peacemaker where we go. And God will open doors. I'm just here to tell you, God will open doors for you to share the gospel if you just love on people like that and make relational connections. Also, being that relational risk taker means trying to put at rest that relationship that's got issues, trying to pursue reconciliation, trying to pursue peace with people. This is what it means to be relational risk takers. You've got to take the risk. And also financial risk takers. And trusting God with the resources he's given us, he's provided, uh, he's, it's so funny, God gives us everything and then we hold on to it. We're like, you can't have any back. I'm like, man, we, we, we throw a fit when our kids do that, right? You know, if you sit down with, you know, your kid and he's got a bunch of fries and you go to take one, they're like, mine. You're like, I bought you those fries. I could bury you in fries. And I'm just asking for one fry and you're throwing a fit, you know? And, and if we understand like, if you understand that I could buy you $1,000 worth of fries, you'd probably give me as many as you can because you know I could just continue to provide for you. Like, that's our God. He just continues to provide. So financial risk-taking means, God, you provide. I'm just going to step out. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to increase my tithe. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be more generous with the people at work, people I live next to. I'm going to maybe start to downsize my living so I can increase my giving. And just whatever it takes to be financial risk-takers so that God gets glory and his kingdom grows and advances. It's all about that risk-taking. It's all about that releasing in order to do so. So what do you have to release? And what does God have waiting for you once you give it up? You know, that, that was one of the darkest hours of my young adult life, just months after finding out my life dream was gone. And I just was kind of wandering in the emotional abyss of what do I do next? And it was in that place that God met me. And he met me through my youth pastor. My youth pastor said, hey, why don't you volunteer with the junior high ministry? And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do that. It's no big deal, you know. I got, I got some extra time. I'm not in the cockpit of the plane, got lots of time, you know. And so um, in that, God revealed a calling in my life and a love in my life for ministry. This thing, I know I'm having to decide between like doing homework and like studying my lesson for, you know, Sunday or, or, or like, you know, hang, you know, studying or hanging out with one of the students who's struggling. And I just, I found myself kept gravitating and God just kept expanding the capacity of my heart to do more ministry. Next thing I know, I'm an intern. The next thing I know, I'm a, in part-time ministry, then full-time ministry. And I tell you what, all these years of just seeing God at work in people's lives and being able to be on the front row of both the painful and beautiful moments in people's lives, I wouldn't trade it for the cockpit ever. And if a recruiter were to show up and say, we'll do a surgery on your eyes, we'll get you in that cockpit, just leave ministry, I'd be like, no way. No way. But I had to release my plans. I had to release what I thought God had for me and embrace what he had instead. And it took time to see it. What do you need to release today? What do you have to let go of that's keeping you stuck and from growing and from experiencing God the way he can be experienced. You know, there's a, there's a story, and some of you are familiar with this, of how a lot of uh, people in indigenous countries and native countries catch monkeys. And some of you are thinking, what does catching a monkey have to do with anything we've talked about today? They oftentimes will take a, uh, a coconut or a gourd or even dig a hole into like an anthill or termite hill and what they'll do is they'll make a hole just small enough for the monkey to get his hand in. And then they'll fill that container 
with something that the monkey wants. Bananas, sweets, you know, whatever it is. And what happens is that monkey puts his hand into the jar, into the cocoon, you know, the coconut, whatever it is, grabs it, but then can't pull his fist out. And he's stuck. And the thing is so stubborn that even though he sees people coming to capture him, he won't let go of what's inside that container. He just won't let it go. He just gets stuck. It's just, it's just, there's a picture of right here. It's kind of a drawing of like this, this poor guy. It's like, oh, it's sad. But it's also, here's what's so sad about that. That's some of us right now. Some of you are holding on to something so tight and you won't let go. You won't let go of that bitterness. You won't let go of that fear. You won't let go of that control. You won't let go of that toxic relationship and you're stuck. And you're not experiencing God the way he can be experienced. You're not experiencing the blessing of faithfulness. Would today be the day that you let go? Would today be the day that you take the risk of trusting God for his plans instead of trusting you for your plans? Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you all to stand up. I just want to do a prayer and an exercise with you guys. Just stand up with me, please. And I'm going to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes. There's nothing magical or mystical about that. It's just a way to focus and concentrate. Let's just go to prayer. Lord, Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible woman named Jochebed that you put in your word and showed us that she's an example of faith and trust. Thank you for the risk that she took. God, I can't imagine what she was feeling when she placed that basket in the water, releasing her son and trusting you. And Lord, you showed up. God, I know that all of us here in some way, some shape, some form, need to do the same thing. We need to release something. Trust you, Lord. Here's what I'm gonna invite you guys to do. While your head is bowed, while your eyes closed, I'm just gonna ask you to make a fist. Just hold that fist, you know, kind of in front of you. Would you just talk to God for a minute? Would you just ask God something like this? Would you say, God, what am I holding on to? What am I clinging to? What am I grasping? What am I gripping? What am I clutching that I need to let go of? Would you just ask the Lord that? What's he telling you? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it control? Is there a sinful behavior? Maybe it's a past accomplishment that's keeping you really proud of yourself. Maybe it's a past failure that's making you feel disqualified. Whatever it is, would you just hold that? And here's what I invite you to do next. And it has to be honest. And it has to be genuine. Do not do this if it's not where you're at. This, this is just an opportunity. This is an invitation. But if you're there now, if this is where you're at in your heart, and you're ready to let that go, would you do that? Would you just speak it? Would you just open your hand and say, Lord, I release my pride. Lord, I release. Just name it. Just say it. Just give that to him. Just give that to him. Some of you, you need Christ. You need a relationship with Jesus, and you've just been running from God. Maybe that open hand is like, God, I'm coming to you right now. I'm coming. I'm tired of running from you. I'm tired of trying to do it my way or the religious way. I just need Jesus. I just want you to look at that open hand for a second. It's open, which means it's ready to receive. Fathers, we all stand here with open hands. God, let it be a symbol that we are willing to receive whatever you have for us. Lord, if you want to 
change our jobs. You want to move us. God, you want us to even suffer a little bit to, to glorify you. God, if you want to take our lives, do whatever it takes to just glorify you, Lord, we receive. And Lord, we know it might take days or months or years before these hands have in them what you have for us. But we will walk and trust you in a way with our hands open. So we release these things to you, God. I ask that you fill it up with whatever you have. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen.